Yusuf. Welcome to Let's Talk, a place for open conversation. Since the early 90s, actress, comedian Margaret Cho has been outspoken and at times controversial in her candid handling of identity, race, and sexuality. Margaret is a true inspiration to me. Having her own show, All American Girl, with a cast of all Asians, and appearing in films like It's My Party has created awareness and insight for the LGBTQIA community. She has a powerful history of advocacy. Her work has utilized humor and indulged stereotypes to discuss the Asian American experience and sexual identity. I'm so happy to have you here today. Thank you for joining me. Thank you. Thank you very much. This is great. And Margaret, where are you right now? I'm at home. I'm in Los Angeles, so I'm just here. Um, it's uh, it, it's nice. It's cooled down a little bit, so um, I'm happy to be here with you. This is great. Well, thank you so much. And and I I think it's such a pivotal time. For Asian American to speak to each other because there's so many noises out there that we're listening to and we're trying to filter and learn, and I myself included. And knowing that you have been through so much in your journey in Hollywood, and you have experienced so many different inclusion issues and non-inclusion issues, so I, I feel like I'm talking to a historian today. So I kind of want to go down that journey with you a little bit and to really understand the the hardship and also how you triumph in this business. I think it's uh, well. I think it's a great time. I think that what's been really incredible is that we're seeing a moment where we're really looking towards um, finding a place of real peace and unity and real diversity, and we're looking at um, hopefully seeing an end to systemic racism when it comes to the murder of Black people and. The murder of Black people by police, which is really important, and I think especially during this time, uh, which is Pride Month, you know, Gay Pride really owes a lot to um, the Black Civil Rights Movement. You know, I think that we really got so much from the uh, original Civil Rights Movement from the '60s. So now to return to that and really pay back to Black Lives Matter, what we got from the civil rights movement is great, and also for Asian Americans, what it means to really give back as well, because I think that there have been a lot of different um, points of unity between, um, like, also like in the seventies, it was Yellow Peril and Black Panthers, which I think is really great, especially in the Bay Area, San Francisco, where I'm from. So that's a really cool union, and. So there, there's a lot of unity there. I think just uh, also like so a lot, a lot of in- intersectionality between my queerness, uh, my Asianness, and you know all these different things coming together. I think it's an exciting time. Um, of course, you know we're still seeing a lot of prejudice out there. A lot of real like issues around people being very. Racist towards Asians, which is really shocking. Still, 
you know? Absolutely. <laughs> I, I know that this, this pandemic has brought out a lot of truth in people. Mm-hmm. And I personally experienced that in the very beginning of it because being Asian uh, family, my mom and dad from Taiwan, and, and right away we knew that this was going to be something greater than what the news was telling us. So we began to bring in uh, PPEs. We start bringing masks for our community, for the Buddhist Compassion Relief Center my mom works at, and just in, in convalescent homes around us, something that my brother held close to his heart and just started doing it. And he reached out to me and says, I'm bringing masks in. And I go, mm-hmm. the TV is saying we don't need it. He's like, no, we're going to need this. You're going to have to get prepared for this and use your platform and reach out to people because you're going to need it. So when the mask came in for the first time, I put them on and I went to pavilions in West Hollywood. I live right here, right in the neighborhood. Mm-hmm. And I thought I was walking in to a room of cockroaches with lights on. They all just went <clears throat> away mm-hmm. from me. And mm-hmm. the way they looked at me, brought back memories how it was living in the middle of America in Terry Hill, Indiana. Mm-hmm. And whether it's fear of me because I may give them diseases or whether or not all of a sudden, for whatever reason, I felt Asian all over again in a way that I never felt before. Right. And, it's that and, sort of otherness. Yeah, that strange thing of like the foreignness of it. You know, when you're there, you're the, the sort of othering that, the suspicion of, you know, us bringing something in because we're other or foreign. It's so odd. But through this time, I I find, I listened to a lot of your podcasts the last few days too. I know you spoke to Ginny Mai and it really touched my heart because we all Asian Americans will find that common thread of the silent workers that don't cause any issues and just be quiet and do your work because our generation have taught us that. And I, I find that I find kinship with you because you have never been quiet about anything yeah. you believed in. And, and I, I feel I'm the same way because I've seen somebody like you on TV, like you on all different programs has been that person and made it okay for me to do the same. And, and mm-hmm. I want to say thank you for that because thank it's such a, it's such an amazing example of it. And, and thank also you. growing up, you know, figuring out sexuality, figuring out what's uh-huh. right, what's wrong, and then being Asian, yeah. I mean, we can have a whole different discussion about that. And, yes. and so thank you, thank you, thank you for celebrating who you thank are you. and allow people like me to be able to share with you. But I have to say through this time, I find a lot of internal struggles and, and pain mm-hmm. and I'll reach out to, yes my friends, and I hate that it sounds really bad to say, I'll reach out to my black friends, my black community friends, and check in with them and said, have I done something? Have I ever said anything that, that, that I'm not educated enough to know that it was right or wrong? So mm-hmm. I have these conversations every day with Miss J, from American Next Top Model. We're really close. And, and it's because I found that in, in struggle when Asians for Black Lives started become very active about four weeks into this pandemic, mm-hmm. I found myself not involved enough with the community. So I started reaching out to all different communities, including you. Right. Just like, what can I do to help? But at the same time, I had this struggle that less than three weeks ago, we saw news all over the place where Asian community were being beaten up by so many people, abused because they're wearing masks, because they were told they were the virus themselves. And mm-hmm. that's a hard place to be. That's an internal yeah. struggle. And when you go out there and parade and protest, I should say not parade, when I went out there for the first time when West Hollywood had a protest, right by, just right outside my street, I literally walk out and mm-hmm. I stood there and I had to pause and ask, would they be there for me? 
Yes. Would this community be there for me? And yes. I hope so, you know? Yes, yes, absolutely. I think that we'll always be there for each other. And that's what's really apparent. And I think that's what's so great, too, about the protests and how much uh, people are so excited about protesting. And I know this weekend also um, will be uh, some big protests. There's going to be the big Black Lives Matter gay pride protest coming up. Um, Sunday is a big day for that, which I think is really important. And I'll be there for that. And I think it's very, um, you know, it's, it, it is, we're showing up for each other in a lot of ways, which I think is really, really, really important. It's for the first time. There's such a historical moment. Mm -hmm. The 50th anniversary for the LGBTQ pr protest parade. We like to be parading instead of protest. But this time we're going to protest and parade at the same time. Side by side with, L yes. yeah, with BL BLM. And, and that, I am, I can't wait. Because literally it's yeah. outside my door. I can just stick my head out and it's right yeah, there. Yeah, so and easy. I'll, I'm going to be there to to capture this moment. And as a photographer, what an incredible time to to capture history and, and, and be part of it. Because, you know, I, I was I was in Pomona when Ronnie King and a thing happened in the 90s. And, and mm -hmm. I felt that, that the hatred between the communities. I felt that pain. And, mm -hmm. and and I was too young to really understand that all I know is like there's two community of color and they're fighting against each other. And you're Korean, so I know you probably have that, that firsthand sensibility about that. I, me being very Americanized at the time did not really accept myself as Asian going through that process in my life that I think, you know, I didn't know what I was. Because recognizing yeah. I'm Asian therefore means I won't get certain things in my life. Mm -hmm. Therefore, you push that away. And, mm -hmm. and so much so that at that time, I had an American name. And a lot of mm -hmm. people don't know, I, I was Daniel for 15 years of my life. Mm -hmm. But it wasn't until that I can say, oh, wait a minute. I, I am Asian. And, and it comes with maturity, right? And comes with mm -hmm. also be able to watch you on American uh, Girl. When I saw that, it was literally the time I was going to Pasadena Art Center. I was going to art school. And I call it uh -huh. art therapy now because it wasn't really art school. It was art therapy. Yeah. <laughs> and, and then watching you and then realize, wait a minute, I got to get rid of that name. Mm -hmm. So I legally changed my name to you side back to my my Chinese name and mm -hmm. it changed everything because it changed the perspective of who I am and the voices I can have and and that's that that was very important for me and now having a platform I I, I find it very I feel there's a responsibility you know right. as an Asian American that that I have to really examine my own path and examine what can we do to be part of this community and be positive about this community. And not just, you know, wearing a rainbow flag on my on my forehead and walk out like, like we do all these years past, right? That's how yes. we do it. <laughs> and yes. So so what in you've seen it all. You've been through all the different turmoils and 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 history. This moment is so important. What should we do differently? Um, I think it's really about examining how we need to put all of these ideas about uh, change into practice. I mean, it is really vital to protest and march, but it's also about really making sure that laws are being changed, that policies are being changed, really finding out what it means to defund the police, you know, finding out what it really means to, um, put people in power, you know, elect certain people, like who are we electing? What will they do? And who is in power and what will they do? And 
what does my vote mean here? You know, these actions have long effects. Um, I think that these things are really, really important. And I, I do think that this is a, a really important time. And so that's, uh, I think, the best thing. Um, also, real, really investigating what our history is. There's so much we don't know about American history. And we're so, we're so at a disadvantage to not really understand what this country's built on, you know, and what we come from. And we've been lied to for 500 years and we need to know. And I, I mean, it's, it's not right what we don't know. And, and it's not right that we've been lied to and we have a right to know. We also need to start reparations for slavery. We need to start reparations in a very real way and in a way that is meaningful so there's a lot that we need to do to make up for all of the things that have happened. But I think it's starting to make sense to people now. But it, a good thing to do also is to understand, like, how we can make it right. And, and to ask people, like, what are we doing wrong, like, in our lives? Like, where are we racist in our daily lives? Like, where are we racist against black people in our daily lives? Like, what do I do that's wrong? And I think that's really, really good. I think it's important for us to question ourselves because we just don't know. Well, like I, a, I appreciate it. It's good. As a comedian, you have always kissed that subject matter on the edge, and you, you'll, you'll make fun of ourselves and self-deprecating as well, what Asian people do, and we hear that also in the black community and black comedians. And what is that like now when we go back and examine those subject matters? Are we perpetuating those notions for other people to treat us the way we are? Well, it's. I think it's. It's like there's a there's a point to it there, you know, there's like a point to talking about it. When we talk about stereotypes, it's like there are these images that are used to either discount our credibility or discount our presence or um, make us seem like uh, we are lesser human beings. So mm. we need to use those stereotypes in order to make these images exist for a reason. They've been used in order to dehumanize us. So it's kind of like this thing of you do have to bring them up because they exist and they exist in order so that uh, white communities can act like we're not eligible for an opinion. Mm. So that that's kind of like, uh, I mean, there's a reason why they're out there. They're, they're sort of, uh, they're used as facsimiles for our actual existence. And so I feel strongly about bringing stereotypes up and using them to our advantage in a lot of ways. So th there's a point to it because racism is real. And racism is not something that we're, we're not in a post-racist society as we would hope to be in. Right. You know, we, we live in the midst of it. And um, it's murderous as we, we see daily. And how was that for you? I know you grew up in a black community and as an Asian woman at that time, what was it like for you? Was there something very prevalent? Because I know I grew up in Terry Hill, Indiana and in Robinson, Illinois. And for those people who look on the map, they'll know that they are as, as Caucasians they come. And, and I, I have one friend, his name was Jamal and he was black because that was one person that related to me and I related to him and that was it. But at the time, you know, I know when I was in Taiwan, when we see a black person, we kind of take a step back because we don't know when, and our culturally we're, we're scared of what we don't know. And, and funny enough that he turned out to be my only friend and, <laughs> that I had for, for, for two years while I was living there. And, and I became colorblind because of that. But then when I came to California, 
that's when I really truly realized that a melting pot actually created more division. Mm-hmm. And it was really interesting to to go, okay, yes, there's a lot of Asian people. And then I find that Asians were actually more racist to Asians themselves than, than oh, yeah. the other colors of the rainbow. It was so that was right. incredible learning because then the competitiveness being the best in school or sports or whatever that may be. Oh, you're from Taiwan, you're not from China, or you're from Korea, you're not from Japan. It became a whole thing. So I feel like we need to start reexamining our own community first. I know. Asians are funny because they're the most racist against other Asians, which is really funny. <laughs> because it's like, but it has to do with all of these, like, um, it's a very xenophobic culture. Mm-hmm. It has to do with all these islands around um Dokdo. Like it has to do with these weird rock formations that are all uh, between China, China, Korea, and Japan. So it's, it's very like it's it's a very petty kind of arguments, but it's it's a very strange thing. Like these long, long fights between these countries. Um, I, I think like growing up in a black neighborhood, what the problem was is that the the uh, aspirational qualities of my family and the families around us. It was all towards whiteness. It wasn't about bringing up the uh, quality of life for our family and uh, the the neighborhood that we lived in. It was all about going towards these white institutions like Ivy League schools, Mm -hmm. which was like the the thing that they wanted. They wanted Ivy League schools. They wanted um, a preppy kind of lifestyle. They wanted a Mercedes Benz cars. They wanted um, prep schools. They wanted summer camps. They wanted um, sort of this East Coast preppy lifestyle that we didn't have the money for, nor the breeding for. We weren't white. We were never going to be white. But that was what that was the aspirational dream of my family. So it was like living in uh, the Tenderloin in San Francisco, but at the same time wanting to live in Connecticut and live mm. in this sort of like idea of that one day we're going to actually be white and that was never going to happen but it was like this this strange thought of like maybe if we work hard enough we'll be white someday and if we study hard enough we'll be white someday but that's not the case and and that was like the unfortunate thing because you know with that we weren't paying attention to our community we weren't building up our community now i think is what happens in Koreatown now, like after the LA riots, the uh, families in Koreatown realized that they needed to invest in their communities. They needed their kids to invest in um, the communities that they were living in. So now you see a lot of unity and families that are very rooted in Koreatown. And you have a lot of, a lot of unity and a lot of, very, very strong unity in Koreatown with the black community, which didn't exist in the 90s. And we see that so, now in the protest. Absolutely. Beautiful. Side by side. It's, it's, it's so incredibly beautiful to see. It's great. But, but you didn't choose an easy path. You went for that white path and you tried to break every glass ceiling along the way. And, and you yeah. have. And you yeah. have. I mean, nominated for Emmys and Grammys and, and all of it. But I think do you sometimes feel like when you look around and say, well, that's fresh off the boat on TV for three, four years. There's, there's crazy rich agents. Do you look at that and said, that opportunity should have been there for me when I was doing it? 
Well, I think it's wonderful. I mean, I, I love that it's there. And I think that it's really, I think it's really exciting that it's happened. I would have loved to have been a part of those projects, but I think that it's really, I mean, it's really all sort of a continuum. Like I think that mm. these projects exist and are there because I ha helped sort of create this like pathway for that to exist. Like, oh, people sort of saw my comedy and they thought, well, this may be an avenue where we could go down. You know, I know that people were inspired by what I've done. Both um, Aquafina and Ken Jong yes. both have been very, very influenced by my work and, um, and Kevin Kwan also, you know, there's lots of people who have been very inspired by the things I've done in, in the past. And so that would be my greatest achievement. If anything is people being very determined because they saw my work and, you know, were influenced by that enough to take that on themselves. You know, we all have a part to play in the journey of greatness, you know, our, our rise to greatness in the entertainment industry. So it doesn't necessarily always culminate in like our own domination, mm -hmm. you know? Um, so it's not that important to me to be on top of that. Of course, I would love to do more on my own. I think that, you know, it's sort of like whatever comes is, you know, fine to me. Like I really enjoy what I'm able to do and I would love to do more. But I think that it's like everything that is like happening and continues to happen is really is really enjoyable. Um, but yeah, I would love to do a lot more than I have. And hopefully that will be in the future. And it looks like the, the the wave is coming this direction, and yeah. and you're always ready for it. And there was a little film I remember called "It's My Party," and you were oh, in yeah, it. that's a beautiful movie. Oh yes. my gosh, I I don't know how many times I've watched and cried. I don't know how many times I recommend it to younger gay generations. So yes. you don't understand HIV, you don't understand AIDS until you actually watch this film. Yes, we have prep now, and everybody think everything's fine, but no, it's not fine. And this is what people had to go through. And I remember. That was the time I was going through my evaluation of who I was. And then when I saw you on the film, I I understood that it was mm. okay for me. And not only it's okay for me to be who I am, but it's okay for me to be publicly be okay. Because there's a difference, like accepting myself and accepting the world accepting me or not, right? So so yeah. you really have paved so much road for Asian Americans and, and, and me in particular that that I wouldn't even think that back 15 years ago that I would be able to sit here and speak to you and, and, and be able to to have the confidence to to talk to people and, and because we just don't see that when we turn on the television. Yeah. You know, and yeah. and, it, and and I thought I was a Korean girl for a while because of you, you know? <laughs> That's so great. I love it. Well, fabulous. That's so fabulous. It's absolutely amazing. So I know you have a podcast now and you have all the subject that covers. I feel like every single one of them is that it literally is a history lesson for your story mm -hmm. that, that with Joan River relationship and all this. I, I, I absolutely love it. Where do you wish to take this podcast to? What do you want people to take it away with? Well, I really enjoy, I mean, I enjoy interviewing people. I think it's a, um, it's a really uh, interesting project. And, and what's wonderful, too, is that it's easy to do while we're still in a kind of a lockdown situation. Um, and, uh, and so it's, it's, it's the ability to kind of still do it in a certain time of uncertainty is really, it's really a gift. So, um, yeah, I would love to continue doing it. And podcasting is such an interesting 
format. And um, I think that it can go lots of different places. So I, I'm, I'm really enjoying the process of it. I really love that people become so comfortable with you when you guys talk mm -hmm. and they, and they really open up to you. And I was listening going, Oh, I have so much to learn still. <laughs> so much, yeah, it's, fun. So much, it's, it's a lot of fun listening and it does definitely bring the smile on my face. So, oh, yes, yes. so we love you for your comedy. We love for your work that's out there to make people laugh. What do we do to find laughter right now? Well, I think that it's really important too because laughter is really, it's a primal thing. It's really about breathing. You know, you take in a lot of breath. You're really like uh, invigorating yourself. It's a kind of almost like an exercise, you know, and it's mm -hmm. real like um, it's a life affirming thing. And so whatever that is, you know, there's a lot of different ways to do it, um, whether it's a uh, comedy. Um, I know that Jimmy O. Yang has a great comedy special um, that's new on Amazon now, which is really, really funny. And uh, there's a lot of great like comic films. Um, there's always great stuff out there if you just look. But I think uh, even even you know now there's so much there's so much to you know make you laugh, and it's a really great time to laugh because there's so it's such a scary serious time. But laughter is really vital. And in a business, you know, I know we've gone through this. Um, in, in past 10 years, they would say, oh, we have one Asian on the show already. We don't need to check that box, right? So now we're beginning to see a lot of Asian comedians out there and we are seeing faces on TV. And when you up a project, do you find that that's still a checkbox that people go, oh, we already have enough Asians. You don't need to try to participate or whatnot. Oh, well, I mean, I think that it's, it's really shifting. You know, I think that it's um, definitely people are, much more um, open to casting different types of people and that there's always room and that there's always um, space and that people are looking to kind of expand their ideas of who they would want to see in the starring role and, and who is, is kind of their idea of who a star is. You know, um, I just finished... Um, Killing Eve, the season three of Killing Eve, which I love. And it's such a fabulous show. And there's a lot of Asians on that show throughout. Mm -hmm. um, and it's it's really, I mean, it's just such a great show. And what a great, I mean, what a great starring vehicle for Sandra Oh, who is such a, who just happens to be Asian. Right. You know, there's not any sort of, um, I mean, of course, of course, there's sometimes she speaks Korean every once in a while. <laughs> there's a part where she works at a Korean restaurant, but there's nothing about it that it's like to be an Asian character. You know, it's just she's just happens to be Korean. There's just not. Um, it, I mean, she's just a great character and a great it's a great show because she's also queer. Mm. But that's not even the point of it. You know, it's like the perfect kind of role where you're like not watching it because you're sort of in in that space of identity or in that space of race exactly you're there just because you're just so involved in the story so this is what i love about that mm -hmm. kind of writing and that kind of time where you're not so much about like i i love this story because of the story and that's the kind of casting that i'm really into i think that's what's happening now with with storytelling and shows and tv 
Yeah, we're not back in a good earth where white girls are playing Asian characters anymore. I know, I know, I love it. <laughs> I hope to God that we don't ever go back to that, that yeah. era. And, and, I think and it's great. It's incredible to see that shift is happening. And you're right about Sandro because when when we watch that show, it's it's actually completely race and unidentifiable. It could have been anyone yeah. of any color to matter. play. And and but. But I feel like there's still so much room to continue to champion for the Asian community and, and Asian American community to not be afraid to go after the the roles that's out there. You know, like I, I talked to Russ Butler, who's Asian, playing a jock on 13 Reasons Why, and mm-hmm. we had a lengthy discussion. It was something so contradictory to what the society would ever think, an Asian jock, really, you know? And right. yet... He played that part so beautifully. And for not a spoiler, but for guys who haven't seen our very last season, there's a moment he was at a high school party and he got onto a piano, started playing piano. And I fell on my seat. I go, okay, we're, we're, that's me right there. That's all. Because yeah. I am not the jock. I would get in front of piano in the house when I have a high school party. So I text him. I go, thank you for that nod. Well, all those nerds are who still are not a jock, but can still play the piano at a high that's school so party. That's so funny. But, that's but, great. You know, and he, was, he said, that he said, I just wanted to remind my audience that I am Asian, even though I'm playing a part that has become right. undefinable as an Asian character. I'm just playing a job, right. but I still have that stereotype that every Asian plays a piano. That's funny. <laughs> it was really, really cute. And I thought that, 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 that's for those who understand from our generation, kind of just give a little nod and say, thank you for the respect for that. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, I think that we're really shifting our ideas about Asian American masculinity and also like, um, you know, what's it, what's sort of a teen idol too? You know, mm. you look at, look at BTS, like the biggest teen idols in the world, the biggest sort of representations of male beauty. And they're are, beautiful. My God, they're, they're I mean, like gorgeous. too perfect for realness. <laughs> like male beauty is now Asian, which I think is really ap- apropos but for so long male beauty had sort of glossed over asian males which i don't i don't understand but now it's just now it's just korean guys which i think is like it's like opa crazy which is should have been for all this time so i'm glad they're finally like appreciating like opa beauty but it's like it took a while but now it's like oh now you finally get it which is great everybody wants to move to korea because they think they're going to get an opa well it's like (laughs) I, I get it. Like, I get it. Of course, everybody wants an Opa. I mean, the skincare products there, it just, I, I, there's no regulation. Whatever the, the special bees are stinging their eyebrow to be, you know? It's, it's so oh, good. It's so I love great. it. When I was there doing a TV show, they, um, they, before we filmed, and it was like three or four days before we filmed, like, um, you're dark. Do you want to be lighter? And we can give you these injections. And, and I was scared to death. I was like, no, 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 no. <laughs> that's not, that's oh, not. What did I swell so up? Cute. <laughs> but they just look so cute. Everybody is so big. Like whenever I go, you know what I went to Jejido? I miss so dumb. I was there and I went by myself and it was like, I felt so lonely because everybody there was like with their oppa. They were all there like with their oppas and they were all wearing their matching like yes style shirts, you know, cause they get the couple shirts. And it was like so crazy. And it was like, everybody was there with their opa. Even like women like in their 60s, 70s had opas. Like, like Habaji opa, like really opa, like old opas. And it was so funny because they all had their matching outfits. 
and everybody had like their fanny packs and like they were all on um, going up the, that big mountain in Jeju Island. And it was really, it was really like isolating just being there by myself, but such good skin. And they're all gigantic. Like all of the guys in Korea are like so, so tall. tall. Uh, I want like, the water. Why are they they so tall? Just send me the water. <laughs> just let me they're drink all like six, five. I'm like, why are you so tall? That's like really crazy. Perfect nose, beautiful brow. Yeah. Giantly tall though. Like, like really tall. Like they're just all, like so big and i'm like this is very this is very different this generation of very very tall guys nutrition they finally got the nutrition guy super that we tall did, we didn't get so growing funny. up <laughs> you know we didn't get to we can we didn't get to have that kind of experience growing up it's definitely different and i'm excited like you said to see the wave starting to move and i know that Black life matters also for me is a parallel that Asian life matters. I know you're not supposed to say all life matters, but what I mean by that is that we're all helping each other by helping what most important causes in front of us. And that's black mm -hmm. life matters. And, mm -hmm. and for me, I personally think it uh, really do champion the Asians for black life because without the historical movement in the sixties and without their support, without what they had to go through, we couldn't even have a place in this community. And, yeah. and, it's, and it's so important for the Asians out there that to be more like Margaret Cho, be louder, be, be strong, and don't be afraid Absolutely. to shatter the glass ceiling and, 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 and push for it. That's, that's when I get really excited to see the things change in our industry and in fashion as well. Because 10 years ago, I got to tell you, when I asked if I can shoot an Asian woman for a magazine, they look at me like I'm crazy. And I, I constantly fight with editors over and over and go, you guys do know that um, the money's going to come from China and you might want to embrace that giant region yeah. of populations of people. And so when, yeah. we, when we begin to see W Magazine open in Korea and Vogue and in different regions uh, in Vogue Hong Kong now, all of a sudden, it, it, it's in a way that makes me so proud to be part of the community that we are beginning to, to equalize everything and celebrate who we are, and yes, Asia is Vogue, you know, and, right. and that's something that that's not like that for a long, long time. And 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 also seeing the changing of the guards and the magazine, the editor in chief are now color women with with voices and power, and young women and millennials with with different thinkings instead of you know you know how it is in fashion. You're a designer, you know how old school people can be. So yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, now it's changing. Now it's all it's all changing, and that that's really important. It really needs to change. And then my last question I have for you is that when you begin to see this pendulum swing, and you live through this this industry for at least thirty years, I think I don't mm -hmm. want to date yes. you. Yeah, for sure. But, yes, absolutely. but you've seen the pendulum swing back and forth and back and forth. What would be the perfect equilibrium for us? Well, I think it's just as far left as we can go is, is the best, you know, the far, the most diverse way we can do it the best, the more open that we can get, the more accepting, the more um, open-minded, um, the better off we are, you know, the more we understand each other, the better, we, better we are as people, you know, we really deserve that. I and mean, we deserve that for our young people. We deserve that for each other. And I think that we're getting there. We are. And I, 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 I agree. And I think that is so ever important that start with your own community, start where you work, look around on how many diverse people actually work on your crew. And, and I know that a few years back, I, it, 
my crew and I, we sit down and said, we need to make our set more diverse because we just, mm -hmm. you know, we got used to working a certain way. We're like, we need more women on set. We need more, more just rainbows of colors of people. I mean, I'm already, you know, half the rainbow. So we cover that. Yeah. <laughs> but, but we needed different perspective and different point of views to, to, to right. be part of our community. And I, and I think that's the first place to be. And, and, and now we also seen on the news quite a bit of, of, uh, behaviors and kindness that we need in our industry, especially in entertainment industry. Everybody's getting called out. And and yeah. the advice for you guys out there being called out, shut the fuck up and apologize because you were wrong. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's okay to be wrong. It's okay to make mistakes. And I think it's really important to acknowledge that, you know, and that we can correct our behavior and learn from it and become better people from it. You know, and, and that's really an important thing to know is that we're not perfect and we don't have to be. And, and that we can learn is really, really a wonderful thing. So I want to keep learning. I want to keep learning and I want to be teachable and remain teachable. Thank you, Margaret, for always igniting uncomfortable dialogue and for taking the time for a conversation with me and reminding us it is okay to laugh at ourselves. Thank you to all my listeners for your constant support. Please subscribe to this podcast for more open conversations. You can visit our website at letstalkwithusat.com and follow me on Instagram at usat88 for updates. Let's Talk is a production of 88 Phases. I'm your host, Usat. Our director, Luis Jaime and writer, editor, and producer, Trevor Swingen. Thank you for this conversation.